Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. The words to which I'd like to direct your attention this morning are found in 1 John. I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, show us the course we should go and renew a willing spirit within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We're in the middle of a sermon series on the distinctives of Trinity Reformed Church. Two weeks ago, Matt preached on the distinctive of keeping our kids, otherwise known as covenant secession. Last week, Brian preached on the distinctive of covenant renewal worship. And this week, we'll be addressing the distinctive of real community. One of the distinctives of Trinity Reformed Church is we desire real fellowship, flourishing fellowship. And the reason so much of evangelical fellowship is so superficial, so artificial, and so sin-enabling is that flourishing Christian fellowship requires at least three things. First, it requires absolute bounds. Flourishing fellowship requires absolute bounds that define the community as Jesus' body. In other words, church is not just friends getting together. It is those who are saved by the blood of Christ, living in the power of Christ, bringing heaven to earth. Second, flourishing fellowship requires objective signs. Flourishing fellowship requires objective signs that mark the members of the community of Christ. In other words, the church is not just a collection of people who have had a spiritual experience. The church is those who are washed in the waters of baptism, living in communicant fellowship with one another. That means they're living in fellowship that centers around the Lord's Supper. Third, flourishing fellowship requires external standards. 
It requires external standards that push members toward the cultivation of light. In other words, the church is not supposed to be an echo chamber for people's sinful desires. Rather, it is a place of discipleship and accountability where people learn that light overcomes the darkness. And so the reason so much of evangelical fellowship is deficient is because it's lacking those three things. And so let's take those three things in order. First, fellowship requires absolute bounds that define the community as Jesus' body. So as we put our attention now on 1 John, John begins this letter in the first couple of verses by emphasizing the eyewitness testimony that he and the other apostles had of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They witnessed the historical fact of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. That's the first couple of verses. Then, picking up in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So it's not just that they witnessed the resurrection of Christ, it's that now they are proclaiming the truth of that and all of the meaning of that to you. Why? Why are they proclaiming the gospel? So that you too may have fellowship with us. Now isn't that interesting? Why didn't he say, we proclaim to you the gospel so that you can be saved? Now of course that's true, But what he's saying here is we proclaim to you the gospel so that you could enter into fellowship with us. And indeed, he goes on in verse 3, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so what we see here is that Jesus Christ binds together those who receive him by faith. In other words, Christian community must be based on Jesus Christ. Christ. The result of receiving the preaching of the word in verse 3 is fellowship with the saints. St. Augustine said, you know the character of any people when you examine what they love. And so fellowship is united by a common agreement on what the group loves. And that's why it's always a mistake to foster community. It's always a mistake to build community or further community for its own sake. Instead, the church fosters, builds, and furthers community because of what we love. Principally, the self-sacrificing God-man, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. And when we are like-minded on that, then all of a sudden, we're like-minded on a lot of things. Now, people today are clamoring to build community in every corner of society. The loneliness epidemic, the depression epidemic, it's all around. People are clamoring to build community. But they each make the same mistake. They fail to see that community flourishes when it loves something that transcends the community. More precisely, community flourishes when it loves someone who transcends the community. Giving ultimate value to community as such undermines the health of that community. 
And as we see in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, flourishing fellowship is only possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's why church community is sacred, holy, because it's based on the Holy One, Jesus Christ. It's based on the transcendent person above all reality, namely Jesus Christ. For a community to unite around the love of Christ means that the community is not a human invention. It's not a human construct, which puts it in sharp contrast with all of the community that is attempted today. Most community today is individuals constructing a new form of association. So it's everywhere, sports associations, women's support groups, single issue groups, affinity groups, gender identity groups, hobbies, victimage groups, causes and politics. But all of these communities are nothing more than evidence of an intensified individualism because it is individuals looking for support and meaning in a self-selected association. And so it's the individuals giving the meaning to the, in, uh, to the association. And so community today is really nothing more than an expression of expressive individualism, which is the very opposite of community. See, when obligations are chosen from inside the group, then the meaning of that group is radically subjective. They are communities that are inherently unstable. They become clouds of communities that change shape or blow away. But when obligations are received from outside the group, when obligations are received from the transcendent person, from the living God, then meaning is defined by the love of God. And that is a community that is inherently stable because it has Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And so the first thing we see is that fellowship requires absolute bounds that define the community as Jesus' body. Second, fellowship requires objective signs that mark the members of the community. So we're picking up again in verse 3, but I want you to notice the word fellowship. Look for it. Starting here in verse 3, so he says, We proclaim Christ so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, go down to verse 7, again listening for the word fellowship. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So we see in these verses that Christian community is fellowship with the triune God and fellowship with the church. Communion with God and communion with God's people can't be separated. Fellowship with God means fellowship with the church. Healthy fellowship with God is expressed in fellowship with other believers. Now, the, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, and it's used four times in 1 John, and all four times are in the first seven verses of chapter 1, verse 3, verse 3, verse 6, 
in verse 7. Now, when you zoom out and look, on, look at 1 John on the whole, one of the big purposes of this letter is to urge the readers to not be led astray by those who have left the church, to not be led astray by those who have abandoned the church and abandoned Christ. The word for that is apostates. And he specifically mentions the apostates in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. He talks about those who went out from us, those who left us. And one of the big burdens of this letter is John wants the church to be brought into fellowship with those who are committed to Christ, to those who truly live the word of life, rather than those who have left the church, rather than those who have forsaken Christ. And the word koinonia is connected to the Roman idea of societas. Societas was a legally binding association of equal partners for a common purpose. And so John uses the word koinonia that, that's, that, that's associated with this idea of societas, but Paul in his letters also uses this word koinonia in a pretty diverse set of applications. And the way Paul and John use koinonia, from which we get our word fellowship, it's not less than societas, but more. The church is much more than a binding association. And you see this especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Paul there writing uses the word koinonia, and he says that koinonia between believers is reinforced when they take the Lord's Supper together. I want you to listen to this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a koinonia in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a koinonia in the body of Christ? You see, part of Christian fellowship, part of koinonia, part of real community is when we together participate in the Lord's Supper. Why? Well, Christian fellowship requires objective signs that mark and define the members of the community. And so first we see that fellowship requires absolute bounds that define the community as Jesus' body. Second, we see that fellowship requires objective signs that mark the members of the community. And third, we see that Fellowship requires an external standard that pushes members toward the cultivation of light. I'm picking up now in verse 5, and now I want you to listen for the words light and dark. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so you heard the words light and dark there. And one of the things he's saying in verses 5 through 7 is that the way we relate to each other is that we help each other cultivate light. We are supposed to walk in the light and help each other walk in the light. 
And in verse 7, that kind of relationship is called koinonia. It's called fellowship. The light-dark motif is frequent in John's writings especially. So think about light for a moment. And specifically, think about the value of light. What is the main practical value of light? Well, light helps you avoid danger. Light helps you grab hold of what you reach for. When you walk in the darkness, you may stumble over a tree root. You may step in a hole. You might hit your head on a low-hanging branch. You might walk into a den of hungry bears. Darkness is full of threats. Darkness frustrates your ability to reach your place, to attain your goal. But light changes all of that. Light exposes the dangers and frees you from the power of dangerous things. And so as we continue to learn about the light, look now at verse 6. What does verse 6 teach us about the light? He says, if we, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Do you see how he brings the word truth in at the end of verse 6? Do you see how he now adds truth into the equation? And he contrasts darkness with truth, which means light is the truth. Light is explained to us with the word truth. To say that God is light is to say that God is truth. But it isn't that God is this stale, foreboding truth. Truth is not a harbinger of joyless austerity or curmudgeonliness. To say that God is light and in him is no darkness is to say that if you draw near to God, you find a living, inviting, and joy-filled truth. Not a dark and foreboding truth. In the light, in the living God, you find freedom from sin, you find hope for the future, and you find joy even in suffering. Do you want to be that kind of person? Well, in God, the hidden holes and the uneven terrain and the low-hanging branches and all the threats that are in the darkness are exposed, and you are free from their hazards. So, God is light, which is to say, God is truth. There is no darkness in God. There are no lurking shadows in God. There is no hidden agenda with God. There is no small print. He is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Light reveals. Darkness hides. So what are you spreading? Are you spreading light, or are you spreading darkness? Light is the promise of hope and joy. Darkness is the threat of despair and misery. When the sun comes up on a downtown street, one side of the street is lit by the rising sun. The other side remains deep in shadow. Which side of the street will you walk on? What side of the street are you leading others to walk on? Walking in darkness is hiding in the shadows. Walking in the light is choosing not to hide. Now, 
How do people hide from God? Well, there's all sorts of ways, but hiding from God almost always begins by hiding from the people of God. Hiding from God begins with hiding from the church. So if you hide yourself from the people of God in hopes that nobody sees, then you miss out on fellowship with God in verse 6, and you miss out on fellowship with one another in verse 7. Verse 7 says that if you walk in the light, then that enables fellowship, and Jesus promises he will cleanse you from all sin. Sin, well, some might get the idea that there isn't anything to confess. You know, no ugliness for the light to reveal, no sin here. But verse 8 says that's just self-deception and shows that you haven't let the truth take root in you. But, as you get to verse 9, if you confess your sins, then God forgives you and cleanses you from everything. And crucially, all of this is happening in front of other people, the people that you fellowship with in verse 7. See, we always isolate verse 9, and that's fine. It's got a lot of meaning in it. But really, what's happening in verse 9, the, the verse about how if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us, you can't disconnect that from all of this koinonia talk in verses 1 through 8. No, verses 1 through 9 are a unit. And verse 9 in context isn't merely a confession to God alone in a prayer closet, though that's fine too. Verse 9, indeed, verses 1 through 9 are about refusing to hide from God and refusing to hide from God's people. And that means, and there's a lot of applications to this, one of them is what we do every Sunday. We, we together confess our sins to the Lord, and we're doing it privately. We're not all saying it out loud. What if we did that one Sunday? <laughs> we don't usually do that. But there's a lot of applications to what this looks like. There is something healthy when church members confide personal trials with each other. There is something healthy when church members seek advice for difficult situations. There is something healthy when church members look to the church to get them through a patch of unemployment. Now in saying that, we have to also acknowledge there's an extreme here, there's, there's a potential problem here. We all know that oversharing can be a problem. We all know the person who overshares. Some people share everything all the time, the most unnecessary things. We know this, they have no discretion, some people share just because they need an excuse to talk, they need an excuse to be seen, they need an excuse to gossip or boast. They're a walking, talking autobiography with a TMI page for every chapter of their life. Okay, so while acknowledging there's an extreme that we want to avoid and that is very unhealthy, we have to also say that when life is entirely privatized, the church weakens. How can we help each other? How can we pray for each other? How can we strengthen each other? How can we share wisdom with each other if we don't fellowship with each other? Because the church has Christ the cornerstone, the church has spiritual sources of cohesion and resources of repair and forgiveness that don't work if they're not used 1 John chapter 1, especially verses 6 and 7, is saying it's easier to have fellowship with one another when you are walking in the light. It's when you walk in the darkness that fellowship is most difficult. That's when you want to hide. And so Christian fellowship pushes 
people toward the cultivation of light. And so as we start to wrap up, I want to point out one more thing in verse 7. Just look at it with me. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And it's interesting to note in verse 7 that the verbs to walk and to cleanse are both in the present tense. And so walking in the light and cleansing from sin are ongoing activities. So how does this work? Well, receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith is not a one-time experience. It's not something you do and then you mark off the to-do list and then say, well, I did that. It's not something that happens in a moment in time. Faith in Jesus is the profound and repeated fact that when you fellowship with the saints and confess your sins to God, he is faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The immediate and undeniable efficacy of Christ's grace is the ongoing work of transforming a sinner into a saint. And this is the incredible thing. Sin is actually thwarted by forgiveness. So each time God forgives you of your sin, you are one step closer to crushing Satan underneath your feet. Forgiveness actually helps you turn around and forsake transgression. See, when God forgives you, he doesn't just wipe away your sins. When God forgives you, when God applies his divine mercy and grace and forgiveness to your soul, he is reordering your desires. He changes your spiritual bearings and points you in a new moral direction. So that means each time you receive the mercy of God, each time you receive the forgiveness of God, you have enhanced spiritual power to defeat that sin the next time. That is how grace leads to ongoing and progressive sanctification. That is how forgiveness leads to righteousness and how sin is defeated. And it begins when the sinner confesses in all honesty rather than concealing transgressions. Sinners must tell the truth about their sin and their motives. The fellowship of the saints is designed to help you with this. A spiritually healthy life regularly fellowships with God's people. And this helps you forsake the sins of the old order. And so, what we've seen today can all be summed up in this one concluding sentence. Fellowship helps you walk in the light. Let's close by praying together. Heavenly Father, we are creatures made for communion, made in the image of the triune communion shared between Father, Son, and Spirit. We praise you for light and darkness. We praise you for hope and companionship. We thank you for the fellowship of the church where fellow pilgrims are drawn to your light. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.